New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and we have two special guests, Sarah Putt and Bill Bennett, joining me for this, our 10-year anniversary edition. So welcome to the show. Bill, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Lockdown in Auckland. Yes. Now, um, maybe you can remind listeners or anybody that uh, is new to the New Zealand Tech Podcast where you fit into this big wide world of uh, tech and uh, media in New Zealand? Oh, I'm a journalist. I write about this stuff for money. <laughs> you cert- <laughs> certainly do, and uh, and and you have been for a, for a very long time across uh, you know many media outlets in New Zealand. Um, and and Sarah, a, a quick intro from you. Hi, kia ora everyone, and lovely to be here on the 10th anniversary. Gosh, the decade has washed past. Um, yeah, I'm a bit like Bill. I'm a journalist, so um, and my publications are CIO and Computer World. So yeah, so they're still they've been in New Zealand, and I've been with those publications. Well, actually, I ten years ago I was with them, and uh, now I'm with them, and there's been a bit of a gap in between. So yeah, that's where I am. Fantastic. Well, today I'm really keen to sort of delve in, look a little bit back over where we've actually come from technology-wise. And it's something that we maybe don't don't do very often is is have that look back. But over the last few years, as I've started wearing, uh, you know, on a more formal basis, a, a futurist type of hat, um, it's something that I've done a little bit more is to start looking back to, uh, you know, help get a bit of a picture on maybe what the future holds. So I'm really keen to to do that today to have a little bit of a look back, a little bit of a look at uh, some of where we've actually got to right now. and then some discussion of the future. Now, we're going to see how we go on these topics because I know uh, both of you have a a lot of expertise and a lot of stories uh, to share, and so we may end up having to bust this into into two halves, into two uh, episodes. So uh, let's just see how we go. Now, to start up, uh, yeah, looking looking back 10 years, um, one of the things that, uh, in fact, looking back further further than 10 years, before we delve into the 10 years, um, is that this week we have been alerted that it's the 75th anniversary of ENIAC. Um, Bill, maybe you can give us a little bit of background um, on ENIAC and uh, and those other early computers that uh, that you know have have um, that hold a very important place for us in in technology history. Yeah, well, ENIAC was the American um, computer that was built around about I think it was originally built around about. 1948 the late 1940s anyway and it was um it was the company which became univac then sperry univac and that merged with burrows to become unisys so that so that company has a history which goes back 75 years in computing and yes that's longer than ibm because i at that time ibm was making um card readers and machines which you know used accounting and so on but it wasn't making computers at that stage um, that that came later. ENIAC was, um, I think, I think ENIAC, like the other projects at the time, was largely um, a research project, and it came out of academia, and it came out, and it was funded by military interests and so on. But around about the time of ENIAC, and this is a story that um, I've got a personal connection to because my tutor, um, when I was studying 
at uh, Manchester University in the 70s. Well, Tudor was one of the guys who built the first uh, Manchester University computer, which was called the Mark One. Um, he was the, his name was Tom Kilburn, and he had worked previously on the Bletchley Park um, code breaking machines, which are used to crack the Enigma codes, which the Germans used during the Second World War. And that really is where the you know the genesis of computers comes from. The difference between the Manchester machine and ENIAC, any any uh, uh, Unisys is claiming that ENIAC was the first computer, and it kind of was, but ENIAC wasn't programmable, or at least it, it was programmable, but. It, it took teams of people days to set up a program. They would have to, you know, turn knobs and twist wheels and move sliders and so on, and, and configure patch boards to program ENIAC. Whereas the Manchester University computer actually could store a program, and it it stored a program, oddly enough, in something which is a bit like an old-fashioned um, um, TV screen. It was a cathode ray tube, um, and it could store the instructions on the screen which could then feed the program. So you could, so it was much easier to program. It was the, so uh, the people, the guys at Manchester say theirs was the first programmable computer and ENIAC was the first computer, but it's much of a muchness, but it's one of those UK American things where the Americans like to claim they were first and they sort of were in on one level, but the programmable bit came, uh, and, and we're talking, we're talking a few months. I mean, the Manchester, uh, computer was, I think, the same year as ENIAC. It was just later in that year when it ran its first programs. Yeah, look, it's it's um, it's pretty interesting looking back at that history. Now, Sarah, I want you to maybe delve in for us and tell us a little bit about the the term computer and and what it meant at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't realised as well, but basically what happened is that ENIAC was programmed by about 100, 100 women who had maths um, uh, qualifications. And because, to, to Bill's point, it came after World War II um, and it, it was originally sort of pushed by the military, but it didn't really come out until 1946. So they were obviously, that was when women were really big in the workforce because all the, you know, the large population of the males were on were fighting overseas. Now, they were called computers. So the women who programmed this thing, and to Bill's point, they walked around and flipped switches and changed things and physically programmed it. Um, they were where they that was their name. They were called um, computers, and and for so long their contribution was pretty much ignored. And um, it wasn't really until the last sort of ten years when people started to look at the foundations of computing that they realised that when it started, it was very much a um, a profession, a career for both genders. Um, and it's been a real shame that it has taken you know it hasn't taken the last five or ten years for for women's contribution to be noted. Yeah, it's um, it's really I think something that most of us probably didn't realise is what you know what those early days uh, looked like, and you know we've heard also about those computers, uh, those women, and and their important sort of role when we uh, you know look at landing on the moon and the Apollo mission, uh, you know te- technology uh, there, and yeah, it's um, it's it's a strange sort of you know change that uh, that has happened over over time, and I you know I guess now we we look at it through a very different lens than uh, you know probably it was looked upon at that uh, that point in time okay now we've got a, a, a chunk to get through so I'd like to um, 
jump forward to this um, period when the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, started, and it was our first episode launched on 17th of February uh, 2011, so uh, we're, we're very much talking uh, 10, 10 years ago uh, today. And that same uh, week, as Bill has pointed out, was when the uh, the new telecommunications bill uh, came into place here in, uh, in New Zealand, which has has really led to you know a huge amount of change. It's been a you know a key part of huge changes we've seen in telecommunications uh, here in New Zealand. We've gone uh, over that period when we started the podcast. I, I I may have been on an ADSL internet connection uh, with an upload speed of around you know one five hundredth of what I have today. Uh, a download speed of. I don't know, maybe maybe a, a, a 40th uh, or, or more. Um, ADSL was very common. VDSL was, was certainly, uh, you know, coming coming through, and you know, a, a, a certain uh, percentage of population had uh, had access to that at that at that uh, point in time. Uh, of course, 3G was uh, was what was sort of commonplace uh, for network connectivity, and it was only, uh, I guess, you know. Two, between two and three years, sort of prior to that, that uh, we saw the iPhone uh, 3G launching here in the in New Zealand market, which, if I remember correctly, was uh, you know really the the first iPhone that uh, that landed uh, locally. And uh, when I, I looked back at some numbers, something that I that I wrote uh, in uh, 2000, I think it was something I wrote. Or may, no, actually, this might have been another another media article. I'll have to have to. Uh, check my memory's getting a little bit rough around the edges there um actually no this was this was i think from my own blog before i started podcasting um was that uh, you could get this iphone 3g for as low as 250 dollars in new zealand uh, but in order to do so you were signing up for a plan uh, with vodafone at that stage of 250 dollars a month uh, I don't th- know that there would be anybody left in New Zealand uh, who would be on a $250 a month plan unless they uh, just completely forgot to change their plan. And actually, in recent months, we've heard about some, you know, some people that that are in exactly that boat. Um, Sarah, do you want to jump in on this first, or or, or Bill? Who's? Uh, I'll I'll see who's first to jump in. Well, yeah, I'm just going to say the uh, the legislation was tabled this time. 10 years ago and it okay. passed into law in August and really what that did is it set up the conditions for building the fiber network and that was that was largely what it was about but it also enabled um, telecom as it was to split into chorus and what became later became spark and that was the important thing it, it, it just eased the way for all of that and pretty much everything that's happened in the last 10 years was set up then and it was that was um, that was Stephen Joyce was the the communications minister at the time and um that was his baby and that was his project it was actually um he saw that through the manifesto and um you know and through the election and everything um and it was very much part of their um the election i mean it was quite a you know a, a feature of the election manifesto that uh, the year before i think it was 2009 i think was the election we're talking about um and yeah i mean to say it's been a success is probably putting it a bit mildly. I think we've been, we've been very fortunate as a country, haven't we, Sarah? Oh, absolutely. And we know we look at us now. I mean, we're sitting here in a lock in a lockdown three situation, still able to go ahead. You know, the technology's there. I mean, we saw it. 
last year when this dreadful pandemic first began, everyone just switched home, able to, um, you know, get on, online learning, um, you know, work, all that sort of thing. And obviously, you know, some people aren't able to do that and those gaps need to be filled. But, yeah, you know, to Bill's point, it wasn't, we just passed an act and off it went. But at the time it was huge. You know, you broke a monopoly in what was telecom at the time. And remember, this came only two years after we'd unbundled the local loop, which meant that competitors could get into the copper network and enable things like ADSL and VDSL. So it, it just broke open the whole competitive market. And what do we see when we get competition? We see innovation and we see prices coming down. And it didn't just and it didn't just spark um, innovation in the fixed line world because you know what we were doing is is actually replacing a technology in the ground with another one. I mean, these are once in a multi generation technology change. Um, it also enabled things in the mobile world, which is why we're now talking about 5G and not 3G. And we're talking about plans that are around, you know, 50, 100 bucks a month and not 250 bucks a month. So um, it was a massive uh, piece of legislation. I would say, I mean, one of the big legacies of the last national government of the John Key, Bill English, Stephen Joyce government. Um, and they, you know, they, they definitely hang, hung their hat on it and I think deserve to be to be acknowledged for what they did. And, it, you know, you have to you have to say, I mean, at the time, and Bill, you'll be the same. We were both reporters on the field. You'd basically go to the telecom CEO and go, are you going to have to separate in order to take part in the fibre network? And he'd go, oh, and then you no, that's not what it says. Then you'd run to the minister and you'd say, minister, is it, are they going to, are you going to make telecom separate in order to um, to take part in the fibre network? And, and the minister would go, oh, and it was just, and eventually... Um, the government won, as it always does. Yeah, and I remember talking to um, Paul Reynolds at the time, um, and I said to Paul, you must have, sitting somewhere in your building, there must be a spreadsheet somewhere with a plan for um, separating out chorus. Oh, no, I don't think we've done that. And I think about a week later, (laughs) they they went live with it. uh, Yeah, which is obviously how business people deal with that kind of uh, question from a journalist. But the other thing I remember him saying at the time is that um, separating and breaking up and becoming chorus and eventually spark. Um, I remember him describing it to me as the least awful alternative, and I think that was quite important mm, mm. because because if that, if that didn't happen, uh, telecom would have been in competition with a government-supported network, and that it, would have been yeah, yeah that would have been awful for them. Yeah, you, you, at the end of the day, the government always wins, and yeah. in this, in this, and if they're strong enough, and and and, and let's face it, um, to be fair, the hard work could be done with the Labor government, uh, David Cunliffe. Um, he yeah. had he had been the one to bring an operational separation, which which is the which is the legacy that Paul Reynolds had had presided over and was brought in to look out for, which meant basically that chorus, which was the network own, obviously, that was separate to the retail arm, so that the retail arm didn't get the sort of the the, the good deals, and they they couldn't get better deals than say an, a Vodafone or a or a Slingshot or some other company. So that already had been done. That 
that ground, the groundwork had been laid by national yeah. by Labor. National came in and doubled down, and they also put up 1.5 billion dollars, which was just enough to focus the minds of the telcos and the electricity companies who would who were desperate to get a piece of it as well, and obviously Well Networks. Um, and North Power both have become local fibre companies and they're, they're doing the build in the central North Island and up in Whangarei. And, of course, Enable Networks, which was an arm of an, an, an organisation that was an arm of the Christchurch City Council, they had already got underway and were laying so much fibre down in Canterbury, they kind of had to give it to them. So, uh, If you um, remember, that was just after the Canterbury earthquake too. That's true. That's true. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, it was and quite... It was, Quite interesting looking looking back on some of the uh, the blog posts I did around that time in the in that earlier window, and we launched the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Yeah, in, in a time where there was just so much change going on, both locally and and globally in terms of uh, technology innovation, sort of physical products that we uh, we tended to review uh, on the show, and it was interesting looking at some of the companies that uh, you know that that the the government acknowledged or. Crown uh, Fibre at that stage had had alerted were kind of you know on a on a short list. Uh, I think Vector uh, was in there at the, at the time, and so there were certainly some you know some losers. But when we look back, uh, it's it's worked out pretty well uh, for us. And we're you know as we often do, we look across the uh, the ditch at Australia to see how their ones turned out. And I would say that there haven't been any um, any great winners. In Australia, with uh, with their uh, attempt to uh, to do something similar and to modernise uh, their you know fixed internet uh, con- connectivity uh, challenges. I, yeah, I think Telstra shareholders are winners. They got paid a huge <laughs> sum of money from the <laughs> that, government. Yeah, well, that, but, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, but there's there's one other thing I should just remind people of, and this is the, this was not this wasn't the same time, but it was round about the time when um, the telecom mobile network stopped working. Do you remember that? That was, that was, that, that was part of that era too. And, um, you know, so we've come such a long way since those days when, I don't know, three or four times the telecom network just fell over. That's right. So that was when they, um, so that had happened uh, about in 2009, you'll remember, two degrees yeah. launched and, te- and Telecom switched its technology from CDMA yeah. to, um, well, it was a sort of, it was a version of, of CDNA and um, and they called it the XT network and no, yeah, right. it got, um, went live and six months later it kept falling over. And massive outages, and because they only had one, um, what was it called? RN radio network. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they had like one for north of Taupo and one for south Taupo South, and that was the one that kept falling over. And we all got very, we all got very well schooled in network operations. Um, and then, and but you know, basically, once Telecom bought that network and, and it stabilised and two degrees launched, then Vodafone had some real competition in the form of things like international roaming um, and all sorts of other things too. And not only that, but the, I mean, apart from the technology side of it, uh, Telecom at the time managed the um, communications during those things. It, It was a masterclass in how to do good public relations. 
Yes, yes, it was, it was, uh, it was, and, and I also think and on the other side of things, it was when we had a huge amount of tech journos in the country. Like we had, like, yeah. I mean, I remember there was about 10 or 12 of us all running after the story, all, you know, deeply involved in tech. And Paul, you were probably interviewing everybody on the podcast um, at the time. Um, and yeah, it was, everyone felt very well informed, but it was an exciting time. And I noticed as well that you talked about the iPhone that hadn't, been lo- that long in in the um, in the scheme of things, and so yeah, there, there was all sorts of innovation. It was a, it was a great time to launch. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it was uh, we were you know very very lucky, and um, you know a huge thank you to uh, Brad Burrows who uh, you know sort of t- tapped me. I'd been interested in in podcasting. Uh, this was a um, one of the team at, at Microsoft New Zealand at the time, who the, he had sort of some similar interests to me and we discussed starting a podcast and that became the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, and then um, very very, uh, very shortly thereafter uh, Skip Parker joined the show and we did, I can't remember exactly how long we did that sort of sh- the show together um, with not so many external guests like what we do today, it was this sort of core of two or three of us on the show each week, uh, maybe a year or so uh, and then we trans- transitioned um, to you know myself running it and then that was really when we started getting uh, journos and a, and a much broader mix of, of people uh, onto the show and now as I've you know we've been looking over the last sort of year or so around format changes and uh, we will be asking listeners to to maybe provide some feedback as we, we look to uh, flick the switch and we've already started doing that this year listeners will, will notice we're not uh, doing you know so many of these kind of news and opinions and, and gadget review uh, type things but very much at that point in time uh, you know a decade ago there was so much innovation around new devices things like drones were were really brand brand new mm. the idea of um, you know being able to get a drone was was reasonably excited and I still remember um, Parrot sending over their drone or their, their local uh, distributor and uh, it getting it getting broken uh, while we were testing it out for the show, um, but there there was just you know all all manner of new things whether it was you know gaming wise uh, phones and uh, computers uh, things that were uh, that we just absolutely take for for granted. Now it was sort of the early day, days of. Um, of, of cloud services or the sort of hyperscale cloud as we refer to it uh, now with you know AWS was was just um, you know very much in its infancy less than five years old uh, Microsoft was uh, following in their footsteps and I think was about a year old at that point in time uh, Google Apps about f- you know four years old Microsoft were uh, um, were trying were really trying hard to get some sort of a catch up with initially with a an offering called um, BPOS, which was um, very disappointing. As I recall, it was sort of a, a kludge together of um, on-premise applications that that they that they hosted, but you know actually they were running the older variants of of the software, not even the latest versions of of what their customers might already be using. Uh, three six Microsoft uh, Office three six five sort of you know came along at, at that point in time. Um, so there was there was really a, a you know a lot going on, but you know quite different things to uh, to what we're seeing at, at this point. And um, even you know we've delved into 
autonomous cars on you know varying occasions over the years and I looked back and actually at that point in time um, the Google self-driving car project um, you know was actually a, a couple of years in at that point in time so it's quite funny to look back it's been 12 years uh, that there's been serious investment in uh, in that front and we still don't have a uh, we still don't well, have a kind of a, an answer so so many things yeah Paul there's, there are some things I, I've, I've said this before on the podcast right self-driving cars is one of those things that's always about two years away yes. but it's still <laughs> you know a few years away yeah. and it's and I, I, I've told this anecdote before that when I started out as a journalist in the early 80s, I was told in two years' time, you won't use a keyboard, everyone would just talk to their computers. It took 35 years to get to even, you know, and even now we're not completely there, but we are reasonably there now. Um, and self-driving cars is going to be like that. It's going to be one of those things that it looks like it's close for a long, long time, and then suddenly... It'll happen, you know. Uh, we've all forgotten about it happening, and it will happen. It does. It does sort of come in and out of the consciousness, doesn't it? Of, of the news, yeah. you know, you haven't talked about it for ages, and then it sort of comes back, and you go, "Oh, it's on the way." Um, so yeah, it is really interesting to see uh, whether that one or that one will fulfil its promise. I mean, other little technologies as well, which you would have thought we were deep into. I mean, I'm thinking things like virtual reality is another one, which I don't think. I mean, I, I mean, I just can't, it, I've never felt that it was something that I could really be attuned to. I feel it's always fringe, but are people always talking about how it's going to become really mainstream. I've yeah. never seen a virtual reality application or, or presentation, which That's is really, actually a bit embarrassing. That, that hasn't, what, sorry, been a bit embarrassing. It hasn't been embarrassing. Yeah, it's always, it's always embarrassingly bad. <laughs> and it's, it's, um, yeah, the, the problem with virtual reality, I think, is not necessarily being able to deliver a virtual reality headset or whatever. It's the content. They're just the, the, the amount of effort that you need to make content that's you know that looks okay. It's just it's just huge. You think of how much money goes into making a decent movie. You know, a, a blockbuster movie might cost a billion dollars today. And then you've mm. got to do that in three dimensions where people can walk around and explore things and so on. It's that's the problem with virtual reality. It's just too costly to to come up with decent content for it. And um, until someone, you know, until one of these multi-billionaires decides to drop ten billion on some content, it's just not going to happen. And I don't even think it's going to happen then, quite frankly. That, yeah, that's an interesting point, and we are going to delve into, and this may be in our uh, next episode because uh, we, we don't want this episode to uh, to go on too long, so we, we may have to break this up into uh, into two halves, but I am keen to delve a little bit into those uh, those future things and you know what future is there uh, for things like virtual reality, um, Blockchain is, is probably an, another one that I'm sure we get some opinions, uh, you know, from from both of you on. 
you know, we've already seen 3D TV, which was kind of, you know, big for a window of time. I remember going to uh, CES, Consumer Electronics Show, in the US, and and over a period of years, it went from being the the big thing that Samsung and LG and a bunch of others were, you know, putting uh, putting so much money behind and effort to promote, uh, and it just sort of came and went really, really quickly. And you know, sometimes it's not that the technology is completely, you know, rubbish. Um, you know, it, it it was okay, but they're just yeah, there was a content uh, issue uh, there. It was very very similar with the, the that uh, from the the virtual reality perspective, and even those that had a had a three uh, D TV. Do you want to go to the, even go to the effort to put the glasses on? Was it actually worth the effort? And um, yeah, it, it tended just that it that it didn't fly. But some of these things, I think, there there will be something coming up in the future that will uh, will ch- will change the stakes a, a little bit. Now, uh, just looking at a, in a couple of other things from uh, from that period of of time, 10, 10 years ago, um, Google Apps four years old. Um, which I which I mentioned, Microsoft sort of just coming onto the scene. Whereas now that that whole sort of state has you know has changed dramatically. Microsoft were uh, you know I guess the predominant player in terms of you know Office apps, uh, those email and, and productivity, and they have managed to carry that through uh, into the the cloud era. When I you know in terms of what I can see in terms of uh, stats online, you know their market share being you know high eighty uh, yep. you know percent odd. Uh, Google are a bit over a, a tenth of their market share, and uh, and then you've got uh, what's the player out of India? They've got about a tenth of uh, Zoho. Zoho. They've got about Zoho. a tenth of yeah. of Google's market share. So it's, it's very interesting how these things play out, and the monopolies that we're also seeing that have been. Tech enabled, and I mean Amazon as a marketplace, uh, you know, ha- has really got into you know an incredible position over the last decade. Not that they weren't relevant ten years ago. Um, you know, eBay, uh, their their role has um, uh, you know evolved, but maybe not not uh, to to the same extent, but still a you know a very important player globally. Um, the role of China, how how that's come through. If you know, if we looked ten years ago, there probably would have been very few of us that would have been you know dealing with uh, you know Chinese companies and and ordering products from China. Uh, but AliExpress, for instance, is you know very very mainstream uh, these these days, and you know huge amount of product uh, that is ordered uh, from them and, and sent to varying parts of of the world. Um, so yes, so much trend, tra- change and uh, and transition uh, over that period. Um, another one I I found um, interesting was you know, I mentioned drones before. We you know broke a drone on the show early on, um, but DJI wasn't uh, wasn't a name that was ubiquitous as it as it is today. When you think of drones, that's another sector where we've we've ended up with something of a uh, of a monopoly. And uh, DJI, uh, I'm not sure what the exact Figures are, but uh, you know, probably you know, ninety uh, plus percent of uh, you know of the market, which is is you know very very interesting. And um, and like Huawei, uh, Huawei being a a Chinese company, which 
Chinese brands were were virtually unheard of, right? In in the in the tech well, they, sector for that, for the, the general Chinese public. Chinese gear was in things, wasn't it? I mean, you would find Chinese circuit boards inside HP gear or whatever, but um, the brands were largely invisible. The innovation it wasn't it wasn't at that level, was it? I mean, and no. absolutely right. And when you see how how the leaps and bounds, I mean, anything now what you, what the innovation coming out of China is just massive. It's huge. It, unfortunately, it's coming from a a situation where um, you know that there's a, such a political issues. I mean, we talk about Huawei. Huawei really came into our market ten years ago when it started developing the. I mean, it was right behind the Two Degrees Network. I mean, it built yeah. that. I mean, for uh, G for Spark, so a very big um, part of New Zealand telecommunication development, and of course now um, effectively pretty much shut out because of because of political situation, which is you know between China and America. So, really interesting how politics has come into tech. You know, when you think about ten years ago, you know you had you you were kind of open to the to the world as to where you could go, although obviously. Um, you know, but whereas now the, the the political situation has changed has changed everything. I think you know um, we now talk about three internets. Well, we didn't. We only ever had one ten years ago. Um, by that I mean the American internet, which is free for all, and anyone can say whatever they want to a certain extent. You know, I mean, I think the last president found that there were limits there um, to the European internet, which is heavily regulated with things like their privacy legislation, GDPR, that kind of thing, to the third internet, which is China, which basically bans anything. I mean, the latest one to ban it was Clubhouse. It's banned Facebook. It's banned any social media. So, you know, really interesting how things have splintered from a, and, and the entry of politics into tech. First, the companies realised you could make a buck out of the internet, and then the and then the politicians realised you can control populations by it or not. So interesting. Yeah. Well, um, thanks everybody for for joining us. We are going to, uh, to take a break now. Finish up this episode. Um, we will have a, a separate uh, episode covering a bit more of sort of where we're at now and really looking ahead to the future and looking at that through a New Zealand lens, as we've always done here on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, and but that lens has certainly changed over these last 10, 10 years. And you know, when I look back, uh, you know, often it was a, around uh, you know some of the coverage out of uh, US podcasts being completely irrelevant to uh, New Zealand podcasts. They were you know, talking about prices, maybe about products that, that weren't relevant to the New Zealand market. Um, but but what we're, I guess what, what excites me now is more how New Zealand can you know, leverage and, and take advantage of uh, technology. How can we innovate better? Um, and of course there's, there's so many uh, success stories now that weren't weren't really evident uh, a decade ago so you know we uh, we saw that uh, zero was was very much in its infancy I th- you know I think I, I looked at their uh, their annual report from uh, you know, end of the first uh, or uh, their 2011 annual report um, and their income was under 
was under $9 million uh, for, for the year. And this is now, uh, I think we're talking an $18 billion uh, market cap for, for zero. So this has happened in the last decade. Uh, companies like uh, like Rocket Lab and, and Pushpay, uh, you know, weren't weren't known to uh, to most of us. In, in fact, I don't think Pushpay existed. Uh, Rocket Lab uh, would have been maybe very, you know, early days at, uh, at that stage. So uh, a lot more to delve into. So uh, thank you, everybody, for uh, for joining us on uh, on this episode and uh, definitely uh, join us for the next one. Um, also, for those who caught our episode last week about Clubhouse, uh, and if you're interested in coming onto that platform, you will uh, you'll find um, Bill and uh, Sarah on there as long as along with myself and a lot of people that have just gone onto the platform just in the last uh, week. And there is a page now up on nztechpodcast.com slash clubhouse uh, if you're desperate to uh, to get in and to get onto uh, Clubhouse. So uh, put a note up there and we'll see what we can do to, uh, to get an invite across to you. Um, and also we're looking for feedback from listeners around some of these uh, changes that are that are starting to uh, uh, come through in our format. Uh, how often do we delve into discussions, uh, the opinion-based discussions, and a sort of review of, of new technologies. So uh, keen to hear from you on that. We will have a, a survey uh, link up on the nztechpodcast.com website on that shortly. So um, thank you very much, Bill and uh, Sarah, for joining us us and um, I, I hope we'll be able to tap into uh, both of you uh, shortly to uh, to record uh, the next segment and that's really the the looking at the here and now and the uh, the go forward uh, view as far as uh, tech and New Zealand is concerned all right New Zealand tech podcast the voice of the tech community proudly supported by umbrella connect